This year is dedicated Lilo Nishmat Sarah Bat Yisrael Tzvi Halevi Kotla. Today is Tu B'Shvat, the 15th of the month of Shvat, which is in fact the New Year for Trees. Rabbi Boch Shalom Ashlag wrote an amazing letter looking into the inner meaning of this festival and why we celebrate it by eating fruit. In the Talmud, the sages ask, why do we celebrate the New Year for Trees on the first day of the month of Shvat? Rabbi Elazar answers in the name of Rabbi Oshaya, it is because most of the rains of the year have already taken place. Rashi comments that from now on, it's a time of fertilization, a time when the sap rises in the trees and the fruits begin to bud. This explanation also holds true for Beit Hillel, who consider the New Year for trees as being on the 15th day of Shvat, to Bishvat, which is in fact when we celebrate it. The Talmud goes on to tell us that when we walk out in the days of Nisan, the month of redemption, the month when God's light is revealed in the Exodus from Egypt and in the crossing of the Red Sea, and we see the trees blossoming, we say the blessing, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has made nothing lacking in his world and has created in it goodly creatures and goodly trees to give humankind pleasure. Rabbi Ashlag, looking at this piece of Talmud, asks the following questions. What is the connection between our seeing trees blossoming and the declaration that God did not leave anything lacking in his world? Why does it follow that the creatures he created must be good? What is the connection between the human being and a tree? And why is the fact that most of the rainy days have passed, is that a sign for the new year? Which, in fact, is the reason that both the house of Hillel and house of Shammai give. To answer these questions, we need to look at our inner work for God. It is known that Rosh Hashanah, the new year, is a time of judgment in which the world is judged for good or, God forbid, the opposite. Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year. The head aspect is the root from which comes forth all the branches and the branches must always follow the essence of the root. For example, from the root of an orange tree will come branches of an orange tree, not branches of an apple tree, and so on. Likewise, the way in which the head aspect, which is the root that we organise for ourselves at the beginning of our year, is the way we carry on. It is our foundation for the building of the structure of our life. In this way, looking at the judgment with which a person is judged on Rosh Hashanah, the, the, the general Rosh Hashanah, the general New Year, we could actually say 
that in a sense, we ourselves are the judge. We're the one who's making the decisions. We're the one who's bringing it out into action. Because as the sages have said, if we do the work at looking at ourselves honestly, there is no need for God to judge from above. The rains represent life force and pleasure through which a tree can bring forth its fruit. Indeed, most of our work as human beings takes place in the days of darkness. For the tree, the days of winter. These are times when we are uncertain, times when we cannot see the light in our lives. We need to consider what is it that's giving us pleasure and life force during these times. Are we receiving life force and, and joy from our learning of Torah and for our service of God? Or are we receiving our life force and pleasure only from material things? If we're receiving our pleasure and life force from our service to God and to our fellow man, and from our study of Torah, then we decide we would like to carry on in like fashion for all the other times. This decision purifies us and allows us to advance to a stage where our deeds eventually give good fruit. Or are we actually finding most of our pleasure coming from our wills to receive ourselves alone? If that's the case, we tend to want to continue with that. But we need to know that this will incur a debt because receiving for ourselves alone delays us from arriving at our true perfection in which we can merit the higher spiritual pleasures for which we were in fact created. It is in this way that we can understand the words of Rashi commentating on the Talmud. When he refers to the time when most of the days of the rain have passed and the fertilization is happening and the sap is rising in the trees and we find that the fruits are beginning to bud, the word for sap in Hebrew is saraf. That also has the connotation of a fire burning in our heart. As the scripture says, Rishpeha Rishpei Eish shall have it ya. Her coals are coals of fire, the flames of God. It's through this enthusiasm for Torah mitzvot that we can make a determined decision to continue our lives in this way. And this is what Rashi means, that from now on we will find the budding of fruit. So to Bishvat is the first of the year, the new year for trees, because we can make a self-accounting with regard to our inner work for God. Okay, how far we're putting into practice the decisions we made on our Rosh Hashanah, whether we really are going on the side of purity, or God forbid not. And if not, it's an opportunity to change direction. Mabasha continues his letter by telling us that we need to know that the only work required of us is to work to acquire the will of giving unconditionally. It is for this purpose that we need to labour. We don't have to labour to acquire a will to receive. We have already been given that 
by the creator and it's drawn to us from the purpose of creation. But if we just use our will to receive ourselves alone because we are not in affinity of form with the creator, we can't receive the light that God wants to give us. In nature, as we've seen, every branch wants to resemble its root. And since our root is the creator and he does not receive, but only gives unconditionally, therefore, when we are receiving, we experience a feeling of shame and thus the pleasure that God wants to give us according to his purpose of creation is marred. In order that creation should not be defective, the creator prepared a tikkun. This tikkun, rectification of creation, is called the tsimtsum, contraction. What this involves is that when we are using our wills to receive for ourselves alone, we find that God's light is hidden from us. We find the darkness comes. Only through adjusting ourselves to the work of Torah and service, which teach us how to give unconditionally, do we merit the tikkun of wanting to give rather than of wanting to receive. By doing this, by wanting to give, and putting that as our focus, ultimately, it enables us to receive all the goodness that God wants to give us, because even if we receive it, we're only going to receive it for the sake of giving the pleasure to the creator that he can fulfill the creation. And we don't have any self-interest involved at all. This is the inner meaning of the blessing we say in Nisan, nothing is lacking in his world. Because by using the tikkun of only receiving for the sake of giving, our receiving does not cause a defect or a lack in the purpose of creation because no shame is present. Now we can begin to understand the connection between the trees and the human being. And indeed, the sages place them in proximity as the scripture says, for a man is as a tree of the field. In other words, the same work that is conducted for trees to make them more fit to bring forth fruit are also conducted by the human being. What does fruit mean for us? The fruit represents our purpose, our fulfillment, when we're actually able to do good deeds unconditionally, giving good to the creator or to our fellow human being completely unconditionally. This is the fruit of our labor in the framework of holiness. And this indeed is the reason the Baal Sulam taught as to why we have an abundance of fruit at this meal. In the first volume of the Zohar, Rabbi Ashlag points out that in the confusion of our physical world, it is very difficult for us to know the difference between what actually is good and what is evil. But holiness and the framework of evil lead to very different results, and the difference can be seen in their fruit. He writes as follows. Just as we have four worlds of consciousness 
Atzilut, Briya, Yitzira, and Asiyav, holiness. So there are four worlds of consciousness, Atzilut, Briya, Yitzira, and Asiyav, and cleanness that oppose them. And therefore, in this world, we cannot distinguish between one who serves God and one who does not. It seems that there is no clarification at all between holiness and uncleanness. It's very hard for the world to survive because how can we know how to distinguish between good and evil? But in fact, there's one very important clarification and that is the false gods are sterile and do not bear fruit. For those who stumble, who walk in the ways of the worlds of Atsilut, Briya, of uncleanness, their source dries up and they have no spiritual fruits for blessing. They wither and fade and come to a complete dead end. The opposite is true for those who cling to holiness and merit the blessing of the work of their hands. And he shall be like the tree planted by rivulets of water, which gives its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not fade, but all that he does, he will succeed. This is the only clarification in the world of Asiya by which a person may know if he's acting in holiness or, God forbid, the opposite. And this is the inner meaning of the scripture. And you may test me by this, says the Lord of hosts, for surely I shall open for you the storehouses of heaven and I shall pour out unlimited blessing for you. Subsequently, the scripture writes, and then you will turn and see the difference between the righteous one and the evil one, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. It is explicit that there is no way of distinguishing between one who serves God and one who does not serve him, except through the light of blessing alone and not through anything else, which is the fruit. And what is the light of blessing? Olam chesed yibaneh, that the world will be built through loving kindness and compassion. So on Tu Bishvat, the Jewish people hint through the fruit that we eat that the most important aspect of our work is to attain the fruit of holiness. It means the ability to give to God and to each other unconditionally. Only in this way can we merit the revelation of God's divinity in which we become like an overflowing fountain that never ceases. Now, how are we going to get there? How does the farmer encourage the tree to bring out good fruit? By looking at works that the farmer does, Rabbi Ashlag teaches us the ways in which we ourselves can work on ourselves with the help of God that we also can bring out good fruit in holiness. Rabbi Bok Shalom Ashlag looks in Masachet Shvi'it and looks at all the different works listed there which the farmer does for his trees. The first one is composting. As you know, compost is made up of waste products that give fertilizer to the tree and the farmer brings the compost to the tree. The equivalent within the human being is in fact our negative attributes that we all have within ourselves. Unlike the tree, we don't need to bring these in from the outside, we have them within ourselves. But we do need to become aware of them 
bring them out from the hidden of our subconscious into the open, to stop denying them and allow ourselves to feel the pain and shame of them. We do not need to act on them. That would be wrong. But we have to stop pretending they don't exist. Only when we really allow ourselves to truly feel our own negative aspects and bring them out into the light, then we want to deal with them. And when we do deal with them, we get stronger. The key here is to allow ourselves to feel them. Hoeing. This is another action that the farmer does. He digs around the roots of the trees. Likewise, Baba Ashlag tells us we need to dig out and inquire into our own lives. What is the reason for our own unique and particular life path? Why did God want me in his world? Removing blemishes. A blemish occurs on the outside of the trunk of the tree. These are the aspects that the farmer takes off. Robert Ashlag relates this to our external aspects. If we boast of our spirituality to others, or we talk about it too much, it's very often because underneath we want our friends to admire us. This is a blemish. Our true spirituality needs to be private and modest. It is purely a contract between ourselves and God alone. Only then can we really be sure that our work is pure and real. Another work the farmer does is to remove excess leaves. If a tree grows too many leaves, it tends to put all its effort into that and doesn't put out fruit. So the farmer, if he sees that happening, is going to remove ex excess leaves. Now, in general, a tree puts out its leaves before it puts out its fruit. Baba Ashlag likens our work in Torah, which is not for its own sake, Torah, which has self-serving motives mixed in, to leaves. Why? Because this is a stage of our service to God in Torah mitzvot that we all begin with. We cannot begin directly doing Torah and mitzvot unconditionally for its own sake. We don't have the capacity to do that. We all have to start off first working Torah lolishma, Torah which is worked not for its own sake. And that's our first stage in Torah. However, many people get stuck at this stage. So Rabbi Ashlag warns us, that although it is a necessary and important stage in our service of God, eventually we're going to have to dismantle it to move to true unconditional service of God. This is like removing the excess leaves. So it will enable us to move on to Torah Lishma, which is the practice of Torah for its own sake. At first, when we start to do this work, we tend to oscillate between the two stages until eventually, with the help of God, we reach Torah Lishma as a complete spiritual stage. And then the scripture says about the person and his leaf will not wither. What that means is that 
all the work that a person did when in the stage of Torah Shelolishma, which is Torah conducted not for its own sake, is eventually incorporated into the framework of holiness. Another work that the farmer does is to cover the exposed roots with earth. The roots of our deeds are our thoughts, because a thought is prior to the deed. Now, which thoughts need to be covered up? These are thoughts, critical thoughts, that question the sages, wanting their ways and customs to match our worldview. But if we do this, we can't learn from them. If I try to fit their words into my own worldview, I'm going to restrict the possibility of learning from them. So when we have a true Torah sage, somebody we can really trust, if we cannot understand with our rational mind, we need to cover those thoughts of doubt and criticism and receive the words of our sages in faith and trust. The word to cover with dust in Hebrew is lihitabek. Now, this word can also be translated as wrestling with oneself. I suppose, because if you wrestle with yourself, you're going to end up pretty dusty. We need to wrestle with our own critical faculties and defer to the wisdom of our true Torah sages, walking the path they show us in faith and trust. Smoke. In the old days, before the advent of pesticides, farmers would light small bonfires underneath the trees to kill the insects and worms with smoke. Now, Exactly in this last week's Torah reading, we learnt about the manna. And Moses told the people only to collect sufficient for that day. But some people did not have faith in the words of Moses and they went and gathered more than they needed. And the manna that was left over till the next morning went all rotten and wormy. This teaches us that we need to renew our faith freshly every day starting our work for God and for our fellow man anew every morning. Removing stones. The farmer used to remove the stones from the vicinity of the tree. Removing the stones means removing the need to know everything or needing to understand everything. One of our biggest wills to receive for ourselves alone is actually a desire for certainty and for control in our lives. But this, in fact, is a real stumbling stone over which we fall. Having certainty gives us a measure of comfort. It gives us a measure of pleasure. Now, how can this manifest in our work for God? For example, if we were to do our Torah mitzvot on the basis that I get a good feeling from my work, and then I begin to rely on the feeling for my practice, now you can see that I'm building my foundation of Torah Mitzvot on the basis of feeling good, of receiving pleasure, all right? And not because it's a commandment of God. It gives a faulty foundation for the whole structure of our work. Now, the desire for control is the heart of stone, which is described in the inner meaning of the scripture, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. It's from Ezekiel. So this stone is the stone of wanting control, wanting certainty. And indeed, if we look at Pharaoh, 
who is the archetype of the will to receive oneself alone, he said to the midwives, and look on the stones. If it is a boy, you shall kill him. If it's a girl, you shall let her live. Now in the Kabbalah, male and female relate to giving and receiving. In other words, he's saying, if the framework of evil, which is represented by Pharaoh here, is saying, if you want to walk in the way of giving, giving unconditionally, kill it. He only wants us to practice our Torah and mitzvot for the sake of receiving pleasure, even spiritual pleasure, because that's the way it gets its life force. It wants to kill off any desire to work for the sake of giving unconditionally. However, getting to know the ways of our inner Pharaoh is very helpful in helping us deal with it. And finally, we get to pruning. Pruning. The farmer removes the dead and dry branches from the tree. These are branches which are not receiving any sustenance from their root. If we were to practice mitzvot because other people do, or out of habit or social custom, then we're certainly not connecting them with the true root, which is the practice through faith in God. We need to remove and cut such practices off. Such a practice is called the Torah of exile, whereas the Torah of Eretz Israel, the Torah of the land of Israel, is Torah carried out through faith for its own sake. Only through taking nourishment from our root does our Torah have true life force. Pruning, removing excess branches, the farmer will prune some branches which have life within them if there are too many branches. The sages state in Ethics of the Fathers, Rabbi Hananiah ben Dossa said, If a person's deeds are more than his wisdom, then his wisdom will endure. But if a person's wisdom is more than his deeds, then his wisdom will not endure. We need to have more deeds than wisdom. We need to bring our wisdom out into deeds, and that is the fruit. From this we can see that indeed our good deeds can be likened to the fruits of the tree, that the work we do on ourselves really is like the work that the farmer does on the tree. May we all be blessed that we will soon come to the month of redemption when we, like the tree, will blossom with the promise of good fruits in holiness and we will be able to say with a full heart, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has made nothing lacking in his world and created in it goodly creatures and goodly trees to give humankind pleasure. Happy to Bishvat. This audio recording is brought to you from Nahora School, established by Yadida Cohen for the study of the Kabbalah as taught by Rabbi Hudalev Ashlag. Studies with Yadida Cohen are available through the Nahora School online. Details at www.nahoraschool.com or www.nahorapress.com.